Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 108. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Here to celebrate a big milestone birthday. Happy 35th birthday to the journey of Natty Gan. September 27th, 1985, roughly six weeks before Marty goes back to 1955. <laughs> um Interestingly enough, also celebrates the same birthday as the movie we discussed last week. Fun and fancy free. Well, that's why we did them. Yep. Well, of course. Had <laughs> you ever seen this movie prior to this week? No, but I had seen the trailer more times than I can even count because it was the lead in for Return to Oz. So every time I popped in that VHS, I got to see the trailer for The Journey of Natty Gan. It When Disney Plus launched... As many of you know, we were in Walt Disney World, so we downloaded the app that morning and we pulled it up to see the list of films. And oddly enough, The Journey of Natty Gan came up as like one of the featured movies on Disney Plus and you just about freaked out. I mean, is it hard to find? I'll put. I had before never seen Disney it. Plus. I mean, I, I, it wasn't maybe, hard to find. Maybe, I I had only heard about Natty Gan, and and when I say Natty Gan, I knew that there was a name Natty Gan. I had no idea what it was. I just knew that there was a movie with a character Natty Gan. So, I mean, it's not a common name, but that doesn't mean the movie was easy to find. Yeah, it was just never on my radar, other than the trailer, which was very misleading, by the way, because. What the trailer looks like and what this film is are two completely different things. Right, this probably... I think that's why I never saw it, because it didn't look like something I would be interested in. This probably looked like White Fang in trailer. Yes, and when you do look at the year that it came out, they were doing a lot of these, like, kid lost in the wilderness and an animal helps them through sort of movies. You White Fang, like, like you Iron said, Will? Iron Will, yes, is at the top of my list. Yep. Uh, and, you know, uh, interesting bit of trivia for you. The dog in this movie is the same dog from White Fang. No kidding. It's the same. He had quite an illustrious acting career and, and quite a long life, actually. Um, oh, I love that. That makes me happy. And, and, and yeah, White Fang, White Fang 2. He was adopted by Henry Winkler's cousin? I think. Yeah. So he was he was bred into Hollywood. I love that. Um, but what was the film that he was in? The one of the first. It was The Journey of Natty Gann, a film that takes place in Chicago in 1935 depression era. Natty Gann is living with her father Saul after the death of her mother. Her father is unemployed but is offered a job as a lumberjack in Washington state and he must leave that night because of course. Now, he's trying to find Natty to tell her that he's got to leave, but he can't find Natty because of course he can't. So he talks to Connie, their innkeeper, and arranges for her to watch Natty until he has enough money to send for her. He leaves a note for Natty explaining the situation. 
as well as a locket with a photo of himself and her mother, which used to belong to her mother, coincidentally. After falling into trouble and out of favor with Connie, whom is overheard by Natty reporting her as an abandoned child on the telephone one night, Natty runs away to ride the rails and find her father in Washington. She nearly fails jumping into her first rail car, but is helped by another traveler named Harry. But they are soon separated as soon as they have to run away from the railroad police officers who are trying to catch people who are hopping the rails. That night, Natty rescues a wolf dog from a dog fight. She names him Wolf, and he befriends her and protects her as they continue their travels. Saul calls Connie to check on Natty and is infuriated to learn that she has run away. He later tells Connie that he is taking a week off to find Natty, and she tells him that they found her wallet under a train in Colorado. One of the trains that Natty had jumped had derailed. Obviously, we know that she has lived, but they are not so sure. So, um, after all of this happens, Natty attempts panhandling for money or food, but fails, and instead tries cattle rustling with a group of other kids, but is soon arrested and sent to a juvenile facility while Wolf is sent to a blacksmith to be destroyed. She later escapes and tracks down the blacksmith, saving Wolf again. The blacksmith takes a liking to Natty, and he gives her food, money, and a ride to the local train station. But she is on the run again as soon as she overhears the ticket agent call the authorities, because at this point now she is wanted. She finds a shanty town and is reunited with Harry, and they ride the rails again. Upon arriving on the West Coast, Harry finds work, and the two are separated for good. While searching for her father, she releases Wolf back into the wilderness to be with his kind, which is something they sort of allude to over the course of the movie. He hears howling, and he runs off, and then he comes back, or he kind of lingers like he's going to run off, and he just stares off into the woods, but it's at this point that she realizes he must go and be in the woods. And uh, then she finds her father and they're reunited. It, it's kind of an abrupt ending to the movie. Um, but a happy one. It is a happy ending. Um, it's it's one of those sad happy endings, um, especially after she lets Wolf go. But we'll, we'll get into this as we kind of unwrap this movie a little bit. The first thing that stands out to me early on in the film, and it's something that I think will have to be brought up. There's a few things that I think will have to be brought up when we say, does this film hold up? Immediately, within the first five minutes of the movie, children smoking cigarettes. Um, listen, it, it's supposed to be, it's a fictional period piece, but it's supposed to be a period piece nonetheless. People smoked. And up until really just a few years ago, Nobody was afraid to show cigarette smoking in movies. Now they don't want to show it unless it's like a gritty film noir. Um, but I don't think, by and large, in a Disney film nowadays, you will see adolescents smoking cigarettes that they've stolen from their parents while they're hiding in the men's room. I can't recall any other Disney film that depicts children smoking at all. Other than Pinocchio, di didn't the kids smoke in Newsies? They, I don't rem they may have. I don't quite remember. But I think they were a little bit older. I mean, Newsies 
covered a wider spectrum as far as the age range, but I think if they showed it, it was with one of the older kids. Right, right, yeah, like one of the kids more Christian Bale's age. Which I'm glad you bring up because I do feel like Newsies is probably the biggest comp to this to this film. Yeah. Um, I actually... See, the smoking doesn't stand out that much to me. I mean, it is kind of jarring to see it in a children's film, especially a Disney one at that. Um, But in comparison to the other adult themes that we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. later on, I feel like this is not nearly as bad. So that's one of the things that's distracting to me. The other is how graphically disgusting this bathroom is. Like... The toilets are so nasty. I'm not even going to bring it up. I'm not going to get into detail because it's just disgusting. Um, but that is what that that's where my attention goes in this scene is is not about the kids smoking. It's about the cleanliness of this bathroom or lack thereof. I want to talk about this for a second. This is not where I thought this show was going tonight. <laughs> um, bathrooms in film are depicted in two ways. They're either completely futuristic, like something you'd see in Gremlins 2, perhaps something in RoboCop, or they are these disgusting, run-down, you are leaving with a disease. I'm just going to... Okay, just I'm leaving it there. I have never once, in a stadium, in a store... At a rest stop, run into either one of these two scenarios where there's either a robot washing my hands or (laughs) a bathroom that I sit there and say, don't even renovate it. Just take dynamite and blow the building up. I don't know where this trope in films came from. You never see a normal restroom in movies. No, it's true. Well, there's a couple. I'm thinking American Pie because that's a big scene. And that one's not so bad. Um, What's taking place is bad, but the bathroom is not. Uh, And Mean Girls. I never understood, though, why that's a trope of, like, the lonely kid eating alone on the toilet. And they go and sit (laughs) fully clothed on the toilet seat. Yeah. Never in my life would it occur to me to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know where it came from. But anyway... Back to the scene, Um, because now you've got me thinking about why they're depicting kids smoking. And honestly, that's how distracted I was by the toilet. Um, I, I think the idea of it was to show how poor these kids are because the cigarette was like a treat to them. Yeah. It's something that you associate with having money. It's disposable income. So the fact that they got one... I mean, not that I am condoning smoking, especially not with children in any way, shape or form, but I think it was you were supposed to feel like it was exciting. Oh, yeah. And I I think that kids, especially kids in the Depression era that were dealing with the Depression are just so much grittier than kids nowadays. I mean, my grandfather fought in Korea and lied about his age to go defend his nation. I mean, this guy went into the military early and lied on his card to get in. Now, you'd never see that happen today. I think there's just, there is that great generation that I think it's gone, call it what it is. And a lot of them 
we're adolescents when this when this movie supposedly is taking place. So I just think the mentality and the general attitude of of kids, especially impressionable kids, was so vastly different than it is today. Well, I think it's twofold. People are living longer now, so I feel like you get to be a kid a little bit longer and you don't grow up as fast, which is the second point is that these kids were faced with a lot of hardships and and they did have to grow up very fast. To circle back to what you said about them being gritty, um, we get right into that with Natty because she packs a mean punch. Oh, yeah. This is where I instantly fell in love with the character and I was very, very impressed with Meredith Salinger's acting because it looked very realistic. Yeah, they say when you're learning to act, one of the hardest things to learn is how to throw a punch properly. And you're right. I mean, hers looked so authentic. Like, she just took to it right away. Um, yeah, I think she's excellent in the movie. You get, a, you get a sense right away for who she is because her father, of course, is trying to be the breadwinner, but as odd as it sounds... And it's no disrespect to her father, um, but I kind of feel like she's wearing the pants in the family, or at least she's put it on herself to wear the pants on her family. And she is immediately one of the most... I mean, when you talk about jumping into a character and, and them becoming endearing, she does it as fast, if not faster, than almost any character in a Disney film. Right, and I think they do a great job of developing that a little bit further in the next scene where her father is cleaning her up. Um, it certainly softens her because we just met her as a tomboy who can pack a mean punch. So now we see her in this sweet moment with her father. Um, we see the relationship between the two of them start to develop, but I agree with what you said. I think it's not only that Natty wears the pants, but I feel like because she's lost her mother and because of the hard times that they're in it's more of an equal partnership with her father yeah and what i like about this specifically is she does have a good relationship with her father it, it would be very easy for them to have a strained relationship and he goes off to get this job and she's just a tough cookie that's got to deal with it i like the fact that they do rely on each other, that they do lean on each other. And I think a lot of that, too, is a compliment to Ray Weiss, who plays her father, Saul. He, he's spectacular in this film as well. Um, I think the fact that they do have a great relationship, I think that what that does is it adds a really intriguing layer to this story because when he leaves, you are heartbroken for them. But you understand why he's doing this. So you're upset, but you sympathize. You, you never get angry at him for making this decision to go to Washington for this job. Right. And I like that it layers the story that we have a purpose and a destination to get to as opposed to something like Newsies where it's just about survival. Um, I think especially because it is a female character, I think you need that added layer of emotion, um, which, yeah, they leave nothing on the table setting up his leaving. Yeah. Um, it's very abrupt. Um, and, I, and I get it. I think that's also very realistic that he got this job offer during this time. You have to take it. 
there there yeah. were no jobs. You have to go. Um, so he does it for all the right reasons. He knows it's going to better their lives. But um, as far-fetched as it is that he can't find her to say goodbye, um, it's equally heart-wrenching. So I think that does work in a way. I, I think it definitely does. And it adds, again, you know, a really interesting element when he puts it on Connie to keep an eye on her. And Connie, played by Lainey Kazan, mm-hmm. um, I want to talk about her in a few minutes here. Um, she is not at all a Gentile person. And what I really like about this is that she basically says, I'm not doing it for seven bucks, I'm doing it for nine. You know, that was that was good money, especially in the Depression era. But she seems like, I don't know if she's got a little bit of thing for Saul or if she's playing an act, you know, really playing it up that she is this heartwarming person and that she is this caring person. Because the minute he's gone, I mean, she doesn't even like sugarcoat the fact that he's gone. She's like, he's when, when, um, when, when Natty comes back, she's like, he's gone, kid, gone, left, that's it. And hands her the letter. And hands her the letter like it is nothing at all. Yeah, she's she's an interesting character. I definitely think that there is a flirtation, but because of the flirtation, it seems completely unmotivated that she is so mean to Natty out of the gate. I mean, yes, she's very cold, just dismissing her with the, the letter, but when it comes to just cracking down on Natty's behavior, even when she's not really doing anything wrong... I just feel like she didn't have enough of a reason to be so angry with Natty. And it's like, if you want to get with her father, this is not the way to go about doing it. Unless she just realized that she's probably never going to see him again. It could be that, but she's also getting paid to do this. This is actually a, this is a piece of the movie that I think is actually quite weak. Um, I don't at all like or understand why they're doing this. Um, I understand for the added layer of drama, and I understand that you need to set up that Natty has to run away. Something needs to push her, other than her father being away. For sure. So I understand why they did it, but it's almost completely unmotivated. If Natty was, I'll put it to you this way, if Natty was a troubled kid, and... I guess the fight that she gets in with that other kid, Frankie, in the bathroom at the beginning of the movie kind of alludes to the fact that she's got a checkered past. Right. But, and but at the same is... time, she's also like, she's really nice to Sherman, and who's another character played by Scatman Crothers. When, when she goes into that marketplace and she pretends like she wants to buy that pot, um, that he was trying to sell for 15 cents and the patron only wanted to pay 10 and she goes, I'll give you 15. And the woman goes, no, no, no. You know what? 15. I was here first. It's mine. She was playing it up and and he thanks her for it. Like she's got a good heart. So it's not as if she really is a bad kid. Like if she was a bad kid and Connie was in over her head, then I would understand why she would turn on Natty. But it, Natty acts out because Connie is really mean to her from the jump. And, I mean, you can't say that Connie can't, like, 
the, the head of the character can't see past her own nose. She can't see that the fact that the kid is acting out is because you're mistreating her mm. and her father left her. The whole thing just seems a little messy. It's definitely messy. I don't agree with you, though, that it's weak. Um, because I think they are doing a good job of balancing out Natty's character, like you said. She gets in the fight, but at the same time, she's not really troubled because we do care about her. And as you said, we see the good heart. Not only um, was she talking to the vendor with the pots, we see her pick up a a stray puppy and and try to take care of it. Um, So I think they do a really good job of showing that she's not a bad person. It's just really the circumstances, which again is why, like I said, Connie Connie's attitude seems unmotivated and then it gets escalated because she is ultimately brought back by the cops that's the straw that breaks Connie's back because she sees her friend getting evicted yeah Yeah, Frankie gets evicted and she starts throwing stones at the police um never a good idea by the way and then they bring her they bring her back to her quote unquote legal guardian. So that sets Connie off, which in turn again sets Natty off. So I really like the balance here of of the high and low. I think it's just that with Connie's character, we needed a little bit more reason why. And I don't think that that gets delivered on until we meet Harry. Because then we find out that Natty's situation is actually pretty common and there's plenty of parents that have left under the guise of I'm going to go and get a job. But then they never send for the kids because they realize that taking care of themselves and not having to pay for their dependence is going to help them survive. So I think we just needed a little bit more from Connie to establish that she's angry because she knows the likelihood that he's never going to send for her. Agreed. I also look at Lainey Kazan as the mother from my big fat Greek wedding. Always. And I I can't believe this is the same person. And it's not that she doesn't play her well. I think she plays this character as good as she could play this character. Yeah, it's just weird to see her going from put some Windex on it, which was really the father, but it's a cake. she had a hand in it. Yes, it's a cake. Um, it's, it's a, she's almost like Miss Hannigan. Yeah. It's, she's like Hannigan meets Nurse Ratchet. Yes. It's really this, it's a, just a very strange combination, and I think the time's completely unmotivated. But that's her. We'll, and, and we'll talk about Harry... Uh, as well here, because you brought him up. Yes. Okay. Played by John Cusack. Um, was this his first role? I don't believe. No, I think this was after Say Anything. I want to say Say Anything was eighty three or eighty four. I think he was already sort of a known commodity. I mean, listen, b- between High Fidelity and and Say Anything, John Cusack is a legend just in those two films, but. I mean, he is a marquee name, and I think people knew who he was at the time. Not and 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 to the point where I believe he's on the movie trailer, or he's he's in the poster, and he's in the screen grab on Disney Plus, which would lead you to believe that he is in the movie for much longer than he is. Um, he's not in the movie for very long at all. Um, but I like him. I like him as a character. I like him. 
as the buddy to Natty. I like that he's looking out for her because there are some other rail jumpers that are teasing her and they look at her as being very vulnerable. And, and that is not the least of the heavy subject matter that we'll talk about as we progress here. But I like him. My question is, how old is he? Because they never define the ages for Harry and Natty. And knowing him from Say Anything, um, I know that he's at least a high school senior in that movie, which came out around the same time. It was actually four years later. Um, this was not his first film, though. Um, Wait a minute. Say Anything was 1981? No, 89. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah, that came out later than this. Yeah, no, his first movie was Class in 1983, uh, and 16 Candles was 84. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that candles. one, too. Um, yes. But he's playing high school age at, R- at yes, this point. Exactly. So you got to figure, what, 16, maybe? He's at least 16, if not older, and I know we're jumping around a little bit here, but it's worth bringing up. Towards the end of the film, yes. he and Natty have a little bit of a romance going on. Um, they do kiss before they leave. And I was kind of under the impression that Natty's like 12 years old. Yeah, I thought she was maybe a little bit older, like 13, 14, like not much. Um, I think part of it is that John Cusack looks older than he actually is, regardless of whether what what age he's portraying yeah. here. But um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Taking the end of the movie out of it and just looking at it for what it is, I think the relationship is good. Um, I like that he takes her under his wing, and I think that's where it serves to have him be a few years older. Yeah. Um, And throughout the film, it does sort of play like a brother-sister relationship. So you're right. When it does get to the end, it's a little strange and very off-putting, actually. Yeah, it's, it's awkward. It's just very, very awkward. No, and not, not to jump to the end, but... I don't think you needed it because it's not like they were going to end up together. Yeah, they were. He was always going to California. She was always going to Washington. So if you're not going to do the romantic happy ending, why bother? Uh, I agree. I definitely agree. Let's rewind a little bit here. Um, Although I don't mind that we jumped ahead because it was time to talk about Harry. Um, I want to talk about something else that there is no way you would ever see in a Disney movie nowadays. The dog fight. Yeah. Yeah, I knew where you were Listen, going. the animal actors are great. This is a very, very rough scene to watch. Yeah. It doesn't matter that it's all fake. It doesn't matter that they are animal actors. It's very disturbing to see. Yes, And it is made worse by the fact that, you know, Wolf wins. Um, There's only one way a dog wins a dog fight. Um, And to see his face covered with blood, to hear the yelp of the other. And and listen, I'm I'm not going through this to upset anybody, but this is what's in the movie. And if 
listen, I'm not make no mistake about it. If this is not for you, watch the movie, just skip this scene. You, obviously, you're going to know when it happens and just skip ahead maybe a minute or two minutes. Yeah, you won't see anything as they lead into the scene. It's just a bunch of guys cheering. So you have a good cue as to when it's coming up and enough time to to get past it. Not only would you not see this in a Disney movie, I don't think you would ever see this in film again. Will you see it in Django? Sort of. Sort of. But Tarantino, he lives yeah, by his I, own Yeah, that's a bad book. comparison. But um, yeah, I mean, you don't see it anymore, but I, I feel like the only time you would is in a period piece. But even still, because animal activists fight so strongly against things like this, you know, you may not see it ever again, which is Uh, fine because it's upsetting. You, You don't need to see it. You really don't. No, and there were 50 million other ways that they could have proved that Wolf was a tough wild. I mean, he's a wolf just by virtue of that. He's a wolf. He's a wild animal. So the whole idea is that because Natty's just got this way about her, she softens him. There were a million ways to pull that off. I mean, look, whether you wanted to admit it or not, this was something that was happening in the Depression era. This is something that was happening not so uh, long ago with a certain NFL player who should never be in the NFL Hall of Fame and should have never played in the NFL after he was caught, which is why I stopped rooting for a certain team. Um, And I'll just leave that there. But if you're trying to be somewhat accurate, yes, this was happening. However, the flip side of this is also, yes, as you said... um, there are a million ways that this could have played out. I mean, look, the, the, the role of the animal in the home is obviously very different now than it was in 1935. So, I mean, she's not going to let a dog go that was living his entire life outside. That was just not going to happen because that was not uncommon. It just wasn't. But, yes, um, it's, it's, it's an interesting take that they that they decided to go with this um it works for the movie um i'm not overly offended by it although i could have lived without seeing it i'm just surprised that well no i'm gonna stop myself from saying that what i was going to say was i'm surprised disney would have gone that way and done something so dark and violent however i believe this was the same year that the black cauldron came out so I'm actually not all that surprised the more I think about it out loud. No, and then they really go and twist the knife because once she frees him and lets him out of the ring, the one of the guys punches her, like knocks her to the ground. The whole scene is disturbing soup to nuts. Yeah, and listen, it's, it's not as if their relationship is great from the, from the jump. I mean, she goes into that railroad car, he's in there, and... He snarls at her. He wants nothing to do with her, but she leaves him a little bit of food anyway. And then after the uh, the train derails, 
that's when he escapes and runs off into the woods and returns the favor of food, which I think is probably where they got the inspiration for Jan's Hassan Pfeffer and eggs <laughs> from uh, D2, the Mighty Ducks, when he brings her a rabbit that she basically fillets and cooks on a stick. Which, listen, it's survival mode. I mean, this, this a- after seeing the dog fight almost nothing they can do at this point is going to offend you. Here's the thing, though. I feel like her survival skills are a tad far-fetched because she's proven in spades that she's street smart, right? We know she's a tough little cookie. We know that she can take care of herself. What I don't understand is how a kid from the streets of Chicago knows how to make fire with no flint, no uh, no ferro rod, no nothing, um, forgive me, I'm working on a survival show right now. So, like, that's what's going through my mind when I'm watching her set up, you know, she's drinking from the lake, you're supposed to boil that water. So that balances out that she doesn't know better. But as far as being able to make fire and skin a rabbit and cook it, I, I don't know, maybe maybe times in Chicago were even harder than we thought. And she had to be resourceful to get food. I don't know. But that just that took me out of it a little bit Um, to circle back to what you said, though, about uh, her and Wolf and their showdown in the train car. The dogs are also sort of symbolic for every stage of her journey. Like she she wants to take care of the puppy, but she knows she can't while she's jumping train cars and that it's way too dangerous. So she leaves him behind and with Sherman. She didn't leave him. Right, 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 right. With know, Sherman. In an alley. Um but you know, it it was part of it was part of the process and she had to let go to do what was best for herself. Here it kind of flips the script because even though like I said she's proven that she's street smart and apparently she does have these survival skills she still needs help because she is in a bit over her head and she still needs protection, you know, and they have to obviously develop the trust between her and the wolf a little bit. So we saw her gesture. We see the wolf's gesture graphic as it is. Um, My question is though, that even though it's a symbolic character, do you think we needed the wolf? I think you needed something that was going to look after her. I think you needed a companion. If it wasn't going to be Harry, I yes, I, I in short, I yeah, yeah, I, I I think we did need the wolf. I think you needed something. I think you needed a challenge other than surviving. Um, the relationship that they that they do build together, her and the dog, it is a challenge, but it's an excellent relationship. Um, I think you needed to see her care for something. I think you needed to see that she's motivated by something else because nothing she does, not one decision that she makes, she makes without the dog in mind. So I think that's important in fleshing her out a little bit more because if it's just a kid walking down the railroad tracks, why is this any different than stand by me? It's just three less kids. Fair point. I guess I go back and forth because Harry fulfills the role of the companion, but I feel like 
Wolf gets her in trouble. At times, absolutely. And he's he's almost an antagonist in, in some ways. He is yeah. at first. And it's interesting that you bring that up because one of the scenes where he seemingly gets her into trouble is a scene that I, I think is completely unnecessary and makes no sense with the farmer the farm. and his wife. Okay, so now first off, before we get into the scene, let me ask you a question. At this point, was there a part of you that wondered if the wolf was real or whether it was spiritual and in her head? Well, I guess that's sort of what my question really does go back to, especially because we talked about before, she lets him go at the end and it's, it, it parallels the puppy in the beginning is like every time she's got to, she has to grow, she lets go of a dog. Right. So I'm wondering if this was in a way her puppy on on this leg of the journey. I think the puppy in the beginning that she left with Sherman was real, but I think the jury's out on the wolf. Although, well, no, because I don't the, know because then Harry can see him, and then yeah. he does get her in trouble, like we said. Right. So well. So, but up to that point, you're not so sure. Yes. So he does get her into trouble with the farmer and his wife because a farmer and his pregnant wife take her in for how long? We don't know. It might have been a day. It might have been a week. It might have been an hour. We don't really know how long she's there for, um, which is kind of inconsequential. Like, you don't really need it for the story anyway. Um, No, but it's a very endearing scene when she feels the baby kick. And that's, I think, the only part of this scene that has to be brought up i i think it's the only part of the scene that you can argue makes it necessary um because i think this is another learning experience for natty i think this is another growing experience more coming of age because this is this is a coming of age film um which you've seen a hundred times though this one does it very differently um but because they don't help her in any way they don't give her food for her journey they don't drive her to a train station. Like they don't do anything for her that the blacksmith does for her. Um I just don't think this scene is necessary because other than feeling the baby kick and seeing the wolf attack the coyote that is in the chicken coop, this this scene means absolutely nothing. I think we just needed a little bit more information for it to pay off because we don't really know how long that she was there. We see her eat. We see them give her food. And then we see her helping on the farm. So I'm guessing that was the trade off is we're going to give you a meal and you're going to work the farm for a day. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think that's something like we needed to know if the intention was for her to stay for a while or not. I mean, we know she's never going to because she has to go find her father, but I I think it would have, I think we needed a little bit of a passage of time here. Yeah. But we don't know how long the passage of time was at all. I kind of feel like it was a day. And then, at most, and that was at it. most it's a day. We, we mentioned she goes to juvie hall she meets the blacksmith. She gets the wolf out. Again, these are challenges. I think the blacksmith does more for her than anything else. Her going to Juvie Hall and getting arrested for the cattle rustling. Again, we don't know how long she's in there. We can assume maybe 
a day, two days, she breaks out. I mean, it, it proves that she's determined. It proves that she's very smart, and she's she is street smart. I mean, they didn't need to show us this again, but we do see it. Um, I think it's more important what happens with the blacksmith because he's got a scarred face from burns. She doesn't look at him any differently. And I think that he finds her endearing and that's why he's willing to help her get where she needs to go because I think he appreciates that she does have a good heart. He's kind of got like a Quasimodo thing going on and like Esmeralda is not afraid of him and doesn't run away. I love that scene. It's very powerful. I wish we had spent more time with Charlie than we did with the couple. Absolutely. Because I think they have more screen time. But um, no, I, I love the moments between them. Um, while this is going on, though, here's the part that takes me out of it. Is that Saul finds out, he talks to Connie and she realize, he realizes that, you know, Natty is no longer there because he was about to send for her. Um, What's she doing in Colorado? <laughs> so he takes a week off to go find her. A week off from the job that he left her for, a new job in the Depression era. I don't buy it for a second. His child is missing. I mean, yes, and you go to the end of the earth if your child's missing, but like, how? How did you get the time off? How did they not threaten his job? Where his child is missing. Where's where's like the the overlord saying, if you leave, you're never coming back. Uh, uh, we're going to agree to disagree on this because I think that's completely ridiculous. If I'm being completely honest with you, what I do agree with you though on is we know that they found her wallet under this train wreck. But he's otherwise just kind of traveling on a blind, not having any idea where she is. It's not like Colorado. She's... Yeah, Colorado. Yeah, okay, Colorado's <laughs> a big place. Yeah, but there weren't that many trains. You have to think of it that way. I, I know that sounds crazy because we're on Long Island and the Long Island Railroad has a monopoly over everything. And there's several different it. train lines hate hate that you can... Uh, hate them all. Don't even get me started. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I didn't commute into the city by grace of God. I never had to do it. I did several times and we're going to leave it at that. But there are several lines that gets you there when they're building the railroad and, and you know, expanding the country. There, there's only so many trains you can be on. I understand that, but it doesn't change the fact that Colorado is a big place. Yeah, but on the railroad, there's one way in, one way out. All right, fine. Um, but but I think I understand why he's going to look for his child. I'm just saying, if, if we're comparing this to the movies of the era, where's the guy from Iron Will who's got the subplot trying to derail all of and, and thwart all of Will's advancements? That's what I'm saying. Th there needed to be Saul's boss standing in his way disagreed you just need a little more conflict no instead he's like nah go and then he comes back and he gives him a promotion while we're on that what in god's name were they doing i understand that being a lumberjack is a very dangerous job especially before they had machinery and technology in their favor yeah, there was no osha watching them <laughs> but they they had the oh what did they call them the toppers the topper 
I, I don't know if it's a bad edit or, or what, but spoiler alert, one of them falls along with the top of the tree, but it looks like he is standing past the break point. So of course you're going to fall when the, when the top of the tree comes off. And how would he have even made that cut? Because you're cutting what's in front of you, not what's below your feet, because he's cutting it with an ax by hand. Really? He should have cut his foot off before he fell with the top yeah, of it. Yeah, th- that whole thing didn't make any sort of sense. I understand, again, I understand that they wanted Saul to go take on the widow's work because he didn't think he was ever going to see his daughter again. But, yeah, th- there's uh, similarly, there's a million ways that could have played out. The guy could have just fallen. He could have lost right. a shoe. Anything could have happened. That line really sticks with you, though. Yeah, it does. The delivery, everything about that scene, it's good. I think if there's one thing that sticks with me throughout this movie and what sticks th- with me after the movie is over is by far the most disturbing scene in the movie. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because, again, the subject matter is very, very heavy. After Natty is discovered by the ticketing agent at the train station, who then takes her money, takes her $10.50. Charlie's money. He gave that to her. It's Charlie's money he gave to her to get on the train to Washington. She hitchhikes. And a gentleman picks her up. He's not a gentleman. Well, a guy picks her up. A man. Whatever. Whatever you want to call him. And he starts coming on to her. And she tries to fight him off. And... He grabs her by the back of the head and says the line, you're going to like this. I understand the point that they're trying to make here. Um, there, Listen, the, if, if, if nothing else has been learned in the last six months, it's that the world can be a very brutal, ugly place. And things like this are real. I, I, and you don't necessarily need to see it in a Disney film but, but this is real. Th- th- things like this happen. And I think they're trying to teach you the lesson of be careful taking rides from strangers. Be careful who you trust. And that's also juxtaposed against Charlie, who looks very imposing. Very menacing. But is a wonderful person. And you've got, you're coming off this high point of a lovely scene with him. And then it bottoms out again. I mean, the pacing of this movie and the high-low is amazing. But Unbelievable. This is too low. Again, I'm shocked you would see this in a Disney film. I'm not shocked that you would see this in a movie. I'm shocked you would see this in a Disney film. I'm not because I think the common trend of what you and I have discussed about this movie so far is that it is period accurate to a fault in this case. Yes. Um Definitely surprising to see it in a Disney film. Not surprising in the bigger picture. What is surprising to me, though, is how far they take it. I think he could have put his arm around her and been a little suggestive, and they could have cut out of it. I am surprised how far they actually push the envelope with this scene. It is extremely uncomfortable, especially as a female, to watch. And the line, the line is absolute garbage. Well, well, it's not, it's not a bad line. It's a horrendous thing to say. Yes, exactly. So, 
yeah, it's it's a very very tough scene, and, and she gets out of it with the help of the wolf. But, Who now at this point we can confirm is not a figment of her imagination because oh no. he definitely got her out of that one. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's just something that but be prepared to see it. Um, and similarly, if 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 it's something you don't think you can see. You know, that rewind button, it's right there on the remote control. Fast forward. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's right. Fast forward. I, I hope we're not deterring people from watching this movie because we haven't given our final uh, review of it quite yet. No, but I mean, for the sake of doing a deep dive and and giving a fair review, we have to bring it up. I mean, literally, my note on that scene is holy hitchhiking adult themes. Right. Uh, this might not be the movie to watch with your six-year-old, no. in other words. No. Um, I think... One of the toughest scenes in the movie is saying goodbye to Wolf. Yeah. I think that it's tough because I think Wolf wants to be in the woods. He wants to be with the other wolves, but he doesn't understand why she won't go with him. And I think, again, that's a credit to the animal actor. And it's tough for her to see her let go of him that way because the way that he doesn't understand why she won't come is the same way she doesn't want to do what she's about to do. What's interesting to me, too, is that this is after she lets go of Harry and that is an easier goodbye and an easier parting than this is for her. Well, she spent so much less time with Harry. But the thing is, we don't know exactly how long she's been on the run for. I think it's implied it's been at least a few weeks, if not a few months. At least a week, because we know that's how long Saul took off. Uh, well, it's it, I, it's got to be much longer than that, though. Right, but I'm saying at, at bare minimum, it's a week. Right. Of that time, she spent almost all of it with the wolf, and she spent a handful of days with Harry. There's also a much deeper connection with the wolf, because he got her out of tougher situations than Harry did. Right. Harry kind of showed her the way, but he didn't protect her in the same way that Wolf did. Correct. You want to ask the question, what were they doing? Um, right at the end of the film, <laughs> um, her father is injured when, spoiler alert, surprise, surprise, they're using explosives to remove a tree trunk and it explodes. What did you think was going to happen when you loaded four boxes of explosives into a tree trunk? With unbelievably short fuses. Again, OSHA's not there. But it's it, the explosion and it's, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> send the medics. <laughs> like, what did you think was going to happen here? I have to say, though, it does keep it interesting because, and, and they do call Saul out on it when his boss says it's not going to bring her back. So he keeps putting himself in these perilous situations because I, I think he does want to die. He's lost his wife and he thinks his kid is gone for good. Yeah. I, I think so. So there's a much bigger payoff when they reunite. Let's talk about... Yeah. Okay. First off, the as I said uh, when I wrapped up the plot, the, the end of the movie is completely abrupt. 
What I cannot figure out is she's chasing after the truck that her father is in and is unable to catch up to it. She is behind the truck. She is chasing a vehicle that gets away. It never stops. The vehicle never stops. And it gets away. And as she's crying, you hear, Natty? And she turns around, and her father is behind her. How the hell does this happen? Unless he jumped out of a moving vehicle in which she would have seen it, how does her father go from a moving vehicle that never stops, that drives away from her as she is behind it, to being behind her? What telepathic nonsense does her (laughs) father harness to make this happen? There is a cutaway because the road zigzags and she takes a straight line down to catch up to the car. So it's not in her sight line the entire time. I will forgive that. What I can't forgive is she's screaming, dad, dad. No reaction. He can't hear her. I have to imagine his ears are ringing from the dynamite. He's bleeding from the arm and decides to jump out of a moving vehicle on the off chance that what he heard was his long lost daughter. You got anything else before we give our final review here? No, I think I'm good. Okay. I'll go first. Um, I think that in spite of the heavy, uh, heavy subject matter, I think the sets are great. I think the costumes are incredible. I really like the score. Um, and I think that the movie, in spite of some of its flaws and in spite of some of the things that we mentioned that maybe I'm not, I don't want to see, um... I think this movie is wildly enjoyable. I think it is a hidden gem. Had I seen this when we did our list of Disney dogs with Detour to Neverland, I think I would have had Wolf on that list. Oh, good call. Um, I think the movie holds up incredibly well in terms of its filmmaking in terms of its characters. But does it hold up in terms of what is acceptable or what you would see in a film now? If it was someone other than Disney, I'd say yes. But given the fact that it's a Disney film, just on that alone... Not in not in cinema in, in totality, just in the Disney catalog. I don't think elements of this film hold up. Would I suggest you watch it eight days a week and twice on Sunday? I think the movie really is that good, but with a disclaimer. I absolutely agree with everything that you said. I think that this is an excellent film, but probably the reason that it is lost to time is because of those scenes that are very disturbing and that you just don't see in Disney movies now. Um, We said at the top of the show, I saw the trailer a million times. 
I wish that they would recut this trailer for the modern audience so that this movie does get the exposure that it deserves. Because, you know, we just talked about it. It's the 35th anniversary and Disney did absolutely nothing for it. Although Disney did have a lot going on this week. We'll give it that. We'll get to the news later. Um, But I feel like if they had depicted this less of a survival story in the vein of Iron Will and White Fang, et cetera, et cetera, and more of a coming of age, inner strength, girl power story, I think that this would be so much more of a front runner when you talk about films of this kind and films of that era. I think it's a really interesting story um, to a point where I'm very surprised that this wasn't based on a book or a memoir um, because the way that the scenes play, it certainly feels like there are a bunch of short stories that were melded together and and strung through, you know, with the device of the dogs and, and her going to find her father. Um, and I really wish that I had grown up on it. I mean, if I had seen this back in the day when I was watching Return to Oz, there would have been a Natty Gan Halloween costume in Jackie's past, absolutely hands down. I would have been watching this all of the time. Like, this is the adventure movie that I was missing. Like, yes, I had Return to Oz, and, and that is an adventure fantasy. Um, what I am driving at is that for for the female audience, Dorothy is what I had to latch on to. This was, it, it would have been nice to see a character like this when what was out there were movies like Newsies and Tom and Huck. It just would have been nice to have her to look up to. Um, and, and I think part of that is because they have a very well-developed character and even more so, I, th- I think it's the acting. I think Meredith Salinger knocked it out of the park. And um, since then has had a pretty quiet career. I mean, she's acting, she's acting consistently, but I'm surprised that this really didn't springboard her because she's just so talented. What's interesting, and maybe maybe I don't know, maybe this is a cult classic. Uh, what's interesting is that you do see Natalie Gann pop up again later on uh in the rocks escape from witch mountain um i only know that we we haven't seen those yet we've only seen escape from witch mountain which we landed on god help us on disney plus roulette um but i was looking at meredith salinger's imdb and i saw that she was credited as natalie gan again and i i was i was excited to see that so i'm glad that now there's a way to go and revisit this sure but we're interested in hearing your take on the journey of Natty Gan. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio. You can also email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip, just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly checked for discounts to make sure we were guaranteed the lowest price. 
Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was perfect. All thanks to Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. So if you want to get the best deal possible on your Disney vacation, get in touch with me through any of our social media channels at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zalezi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. While we're on the topic of the Disney parks, and I know at this point now it's old news, so we're not going to hash out the details but we just want to say to all of our friends who are cast members we are with you we are thinking of you we know that this is a very difficult upsetting and confusing time for everybody and i and i say that confidently because i think that the seeing how people have reacted to the news of these layoffs to see the pain from the park goer without even thinking of the cast member, without even considering the cast member, just seeing the reaction of the, the pass holders, the park goers, to see how much they are hurting, to know how much we hurt, knowing that this has happened to these cast members, I think is a true testament to how special these cast members are. I agree. Um, it's very upsetting. What's also upsetting, though, is the reaction to the company. Um, you know, I think it's very easy to point the finger and say that Disney's a corporation and it makes it seem like they did something very cutthroat and thoughtless, but they are a heartfelt company and I don't think that this was done easily. And I also think what needs to be considered is that Nobody knew how long the parks in Orlando were going to be closed. Nobody thought that Disneyland was not going to be open. As we are entering the beginning of October. Yes, at the time of this recording. Nobody thought the movie slate was going to get pushed back. Disney Plus is wonderful, but it can only pad the company so far with the money that they've lost with the parks not being open. Hundreds of billions of dollars. And and not just not just the entire park as far as Disneyland goes it's the trickle down effect it's the resorts there the resorts in Orlando not all of them are open yet so despite how much they have tried to put things back to normal they're just not and you know I'm I'm sure this was something that they didn't do lightly and I think in comparison to a lot of other businesses they hung on for a while and, and yeah. tried to take care of their people as best they could. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, but just know that we are thinking of you. But on to some bright news that comes from some sad news. Uh, we talked on the show last week and we posted on our social media over the course of the last few days. The fundraiser that Lisa Donato Glasner from the Castle Run started in memory of Lou Mangello's mother who passed away uh, a couple of weeks ago. 
the ultimate goal was raise $10,000 for the Dream Team Project and sponsor a family on a make-a-wish trip to Walt Disney World. And not one family, not two families, not three families, not four families, but five families sponsored over, at this point in time, over $54,000 raised for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Lou was speechless last week. He was still kind of speechless when he spoke about it this week, and I understand why. And Lou, we, we mentioned it last week, is such a wonderful person. Um, but to see the response from the not just the Disney community, but the Walt Disney Company, who also contributed something to this, has been nothing short of amazing. And... Given the state of things nowadays, I think to see the good that was chosen, as Lou likes to say, choose the good, it gives you hope. That that's really all I can say about it. It gives you hope. Yeah, I'm I'm still getting chills and choking up even just talking about it now a week later. Just the response that that they've gotten is amazing. Um so if you are so inclined, uh the link to the fundraiser where you can go to donate is on our Facebook page. Um, it wasn't our Instagram story. I'll, I'll keep relinking it because that disappears. But um, yeah, Facebook is, is the way to go if you would like to donate. Yes. Uh, while we're on the topic of news, and I, I hate the roller coaster ride of up and down, up and down, up and down, but uh, Helen Reddy from Pete's Dragon, um, a film from 1977 that we reviewed way back on episode number 24. Um, has passed away uh, at the age of 78. Um, So obviously thoughts and prayers with her family as well. And I know that that was a a film that was very important to you growing up. Yeah, Pete's Dragon was definitely one of my favorites. I have very fond memories of watching it at my grandparents' house, and Candle on the Water was always my jam. Uh, Interesting post that I saw in response to her passing. Seth MacFarlane, of all people, uh, wrote a very heartfelt tribute that as his mother was sick with cancer, um, I I believe he said he was working with Helen Reddy in some capacity at the time. And she's like, give me the phone. And she called and spent a a good amount of time on the phone with his his sick mother. It it was on his Instagram. I, I thought that was very sweet. Yeah, definitely. Not what you'd expect. Not what you would expect, um, but very sad news there. Um, okay, I think for the most part here, we're kind of keeping it sort of happy. Um, I guess yeah, well, depends. I mean, you want to throw a party? <laughs> you can have a party on Disney Plus now. You can have a watch party, um, which tells you what Disney thinks about what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Um <laughs> Yep. But uh, we, we can now have watch parties with up to seven of our friends on Disney+. Plus. Um, that's a grim outlook for the future, but I like where Disney's at with the interaction and trying to keep people together. Speaking of watch parties, and not that this should reflect our views on what's going to happen for the remainder of 2020, we just wanted to celebrate Halloween. Uh, so we're going to do that with a viewing of Nightmare Before Christmas uh, Wednesday, October 5th at 8 p.m. on Facebook Live. You can tune in. We would love to hear your thoughts, opinions, and sing and dance along with you to Nightmare. Yes. We also have, surprise, surprise, some updated um, movie release dates. 
Uh, I, God, I hope they stick this time. Raya and the Last Dragon um, is now being released uh, March 19th, 2021. Black Widow will be May 7th. And Jungle Cruise will be July 30th. These are all of 2021. I think the biggest news of the week for certain, though. Yeah, let's bring the room crashing down again. Yep, right back down. The um, The biggest news of the week by far. And, I mean, I listen, I get it. If this is because they're afraid things won't go back to normal a year from now, I I am as pessimistic a person as God has made, but I really hope that this is just an issue of jumping the gun. I think this is more they have nothing to talk about in a year. The D23 Expo that was supposed to be next August has been pushed to September 2022. It will run from September 9th through the 11th. I have my own opinions of celebrating anything on September 11th, but that's not for this show. Um, Although I I don't think it really takes much guessing to figure my stance on that based on that statement. What do you think? It's not surprising at all. I think I have made mention of it on the show before. I don't believe they're going to have enough to announce. When you think about the last one, D23 Expo, we were two years out from Disney 50 and there was a lot of preparation for the parks that was taking place, mostly with Epcot and pretty much all of Epcot getting revamped. Um, There were a ton of movie announcements, because they they announced a couple more live action remakes. The Marvel slate was very big. So aside from the fact that oh, and the Avengers campus, I'm I'm forgetting about yep. speaking of Marvel, there were so many huge announcements. And as I said, I believe that that had to do more with Disney 50 than anything else. It's like, how do you top that? So even two years later. It's not that I thought they were going to run out of anything, but when you think about the year that we've had with park attendance being low and now being demonstrated just how tough things are on this company by the amount of layoffs that they had to do this week, they don't have the budget to do half of what they initially pitched. And that's not their fault. It's no one's fault. Um... But what are we going to do in August of next year? There's not going to be that much to announce simply because they can't afford to do it, number one. Number two, I'm sure because of everything that's happened this year, they don't have any confirmed dates for when these things can take place. And number three, think about it just plain and simple from the venue standpoint. And maybe this is more at the forefront of my mind because I, I used to work in concert venues. There were so many events that were canceled this year, they might not have even been able to get their date at this time next year. So when you think of all of the things that have to be rescheduled, 2022 might have been the earliest that they could do it. 
and the most comfortable when they can actually put a budget and a timeline in place as to when they can deliver on everything that they said they were going to do. I, You know what, folks? At this point, you can just kind of blame us for all of this. We were supposed yep. to go to our first not-so-scary Halloween party next month. That got canceled. We were supposed to go to our first D23 Expo in 2021. That has since been postponed. So at this point, I mean, I get blamed for so much anyway. What's a global pandemic? (laughs) It's just another thing. What is not canceled is our monorail meetup. It was supposed to be the monorail with monorail bar crawl. But because the poly is closed, we are changing it to the monorail meetup. Yeah. Uh, Oh, we can go back to Monoritaville. Oh, hey. Because we are going to do a meetup at Dockside Margaritas. That is going to be... Sunday, October 25th. Yes. At, I believe... Three? We said, three. We're doing it from three to five. Yes. I'm going... Yes. I'm going to put that on our website. Yeah. Possibly a little bit longer. It depends on... it. We do have dinner reservations that night. Yeah. But it'll at least be from three to five at Dockside Monoritas. So you can come and hang out with us that day. We'll social distance. We'll say hello. We'll cheers you from six feet away or whatever you're comfortable with. Whatever. We'll we'll just do it if you guys are around. But yeah, just keep an eye on the social media. Obviously, we still have quite a bit of time until we have that event. But we're hoping to see some of you there. And hey, we might even have a couple of giveaways. We like to give things away when we do our little listener meetups. But thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like us on our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. You can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Of course, links to the social media and all the episodes are up on monorealradio.com as well as our events calendar, which is, God help us, it's scarce right now for... <laughs> things we can't control um and don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice and to uh subscribe rate and review us on itunes we'll be back next week where we kick off our all halloween month of october we're taking a trip to halloween town next week it's calabar's revenge are you excited no I am. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.